Moringa is known as the miracle tree because of its immense therapeutic properties, including anti-diabetic, anti-cancer, anti-ulcer, antimicrobial, and antioxidant. It provides seven times more vitamin C than oranges, 10 times more vitamin A than carrots, 17 times more calcium than milk, nine times more protein than yogurt, 15 times more potassium than bananas, and 25 times more iron than spinach. Rightly so, it is on everybody's superfood list because Moringa is truly a miracle tree. Today on episode 114, I am talking with Lisa Curtis and Dr. Jed Fahey. Lisa is the founder of Cooley Cooley Foods and the person we have to thank for bringing Moringa to the United States. Dr. Fahey, you know, he is a nutritional biochemist with an extensive background in plant and human nutrition and phytochemistry. Dr. Fahey was a guest on the Wise Athletes podcast earlier in 2023 to illuminate the fascinating world of phytonutrients, the 1% that makes all the difference. Today's episode is especially fun. Lisa tells us about how she discovered Moringa for herself and her journey to share the miracle tree with us all. And Jed makes us all smarter with his in-depth botanical and phytochemical explanations for why Moringa is so good for us all. All right, let's talk to Lisa and Jed. Jed Fahey and Lisa Curtis, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Joe. Nice to be here. Well, hey, thank you both for making some time for us. Our audience will remember Dr. Fahey, who has been with us before to eliminate the wide world of phytonutrients for us. And I'll even credit Jed for turning me into a bona fide plant eater. Of course, I ate plants before, but um, now I claim to love them. Thank you, Jed. In an amazing connection to today's conversation, I first became aware of Jed's existence on the planet and his deep knowledge about plants. When I first heard Jed on a Rhonda Patrick podcast, I don't even know what, seven or eight years ago, you were talking about sulforaphane and broccoli sprouts, and the the word moringa came up very briefly in that conversation. Uh, is that about when you became a famous internet personality, Jed? <laughs> I don't know, Joe. Um, certainly, uh, I wouldn't call myself a famous internet personality, but I, it happened sometime after I was born, that's for sure. Maybe. maybe He's only really seven years old. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe 10 years ago. I mean, look, I tried to resist social media as, uh, for as long as I could. Um, and so I got dragged in kicking and screaming uh, because... In part because you know it's it's hard to it can be hard to reach lay folks, non scientists, people who are interested in nutrition. If you, all you do is talk scientific jargon, which yeah. you'll probably hear plenty of from me, but it, it's still uh, there's a need I think to translate what we do in the in the research lab to the quote normal people. I consider myself normal, but to normal people. I think that's right. I think that there is a, a space between the science and the public for communicators, people who know how to explain things in a way that doesn't require a PhD to understand. And um, Rhonda Patrick has, has been good at that. I think she's uh, made a business out of that. And uh, Jed, you have, have been good at that as well. And Lisa, we're going to find out how good you are at that yourself. I haven't really thought of it this way before, but I think my um, my baptism into the uh, podcast world really came at a time when we uh, I was trying to transition my center, the Cullman Chemo Protection Center, away from government grants, NIH grants, and you've got to be extraordinarily technical when you apply for them. There's no room for explanations unless they're filled with, you know, milligrams and Greek signs and, and uh, a lot of scientific detail. I was transitioning to uh, getting donations, philanthropic donations from foundations for our center. And it was quickly obvious that they required a different kind of uh, dialogue. So anyway, just an aside I hadn't really thought too much about until you uh, <laughs> asked me when I was born on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I, I do want to make a little transition here. I am going to shut up in a second. Um, I did want to make the transition to Moringa because the problem that I had with the whole sulforaphane thing, which sounded really good, you had sold me on it, but 
I came to understand that the only way I was going to benefit from it if I was growing my own broccoli sprouts. And let me tell you, I am never going to grow my own broccoli sprouts. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to make my own yogurt. I'm not going to grow my own broccoli sprouts. Even though there's benefits to be had for sure uh, from those things, that's just not me. But when you then said that Moringa was a way to get it, and you mentioned, uh, I'm not sure somebody must have asked you, oh, do you know any good brands? And you had said something about Cooley Cooley. And I went on Amazon and sure enough, there it was. And I've been buying it ever since, you know, having it in my morning shake. So why don't we transition to you, Lisa? You are the CEO and founder of Cooley Cooley, right? I am. Yeah. Fantastic. Why don't you tell us your story? Tell us how did you uh, find Moringa uh, to bring it to the public in the United States? I think that was you. Yeah, that was me. That was me. Awesome. Yeah. You know, um, I found my, I, I first came across Moringa not through the internet, but actually from living in a place with no internet and in fact, no electricity. Um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Niger, West Africa. I was living in a very rural village. Um, as a vegetarian found that I was mostly eating rice every day with various sauces and just, it was a diet that left me feeling pretty exhausted, you know, not, uh. not getting the protein, not getting the iron, not getting all these phytonutrients. Um, and I was volunteering in my village's health center. And so I asked some of the women there, what can I eat that will give me more energy and just, you know, make me feel good again. And they literally pulled these leaves off a tree and mixed it into this popular West African peanut snack called Cooley Cooley and said, eat Cooley Cooley Moringa. It will make you feel better. Huh. And I was like, huh, okay. Tree leaves. Like I, you know, I never heard of Moringa. <laughs> like it never occurred to me to eat the leaves of a tree, but trusted these women. And I was just feeling so terrible that I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try anything. Um, started eating it every day, this little Cooley Cooley Moringa snack. And it honestly was the most transformative health week of my life. Like I went from just being so tired to like suddenly having all this energy and it just like revitalized me in a way that, that nothing has ever done before. Um, and so I got hooked on like, what is this? plant you know what it what is it what is so special about it so next time I, I got some internet i started to do some research i you know read some papers jed had written and others i'm like wow you know i've never heard of moringa but like there's so much research on the protein the calcium the iron and the all the medicinal benefits of well of moringa and long story short i was like i like more people need to be eating this. Everybody needs to be eating this. And I wanted really just, you know, sitting in my Peace Corps village, I, I wanted everyone there to be eating it because mostly they were feeding it to their goats. They weren't eating it. Huh. And so I was asking them, you know, what can I do to help you grow more of it and eat more of it locally? And, you know, what they said is what I think any farmer is going to say of like, I'm, I'm not going to grow a crop that I can't sell. So why don't you help us sell it? And if we're selling it. We'll grow more of it. We'll eat more of it. It'll be great. So huh. grand age of uh, 22 at the time. Um, so maybe a little less gray hair. Um, and I uh, I said, yeah, sure. I'll help you sell Moringa in the U.S. Not not knowing what I was signing up for. And, you know, fast forward to a decade later, Cooley Cooley partners directly with small farmers, um, primarily on the African continent. So um, in Asia and South America, and we source, ethically source Moringa and sell it in the form of powders, like the, the pure Moringa you bought on Amazon and also gummies and blends in about 11,000 11, stores, everywhere from Whole Foods to Walmart. Well, that's amazing. So it wasn't, I guess, I guess it just goes to show how much of a better person you are than I am. It wasn't just a money-making idea. It was, it was kind of a service to you know, the, the person who might end up buying it and benefiting from it and also the people who would grow it and sell it. Yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully none of my investors will listen to this podcast, but I'm not in it for the money. That's not, that's not <laughs> why I started this. You know, I'm a bleeding heart Peace Corps volunteer. I'm in it because I, I just 
saw that there was so much opportunity to provide nutrition and livelihoods in places like the village I was living in Niger that, you know, don't have a lot of other opportunity. And if I can help partner with them and unlock access to the U.S. market and do it in a way that like brings health to more Americans like that, that feels like what I want to dedicate my life to. Wow. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, even if you could buy, uh, you know, have some farmer in the very southern part of California or Florida grow you 100 acres of it, you wouldn't do it that way, right? I mean, you source from women's cooperatives and from, yeah. So it's a tropical or a subtropical? Where can they grow it? Yeah, Jed, you should explain. You're the... Well, well you know, but you, you traipse all over the world finding good sources. Um <laughs> Botanically, yes, it, it's a it's a tropical and I suppose you could say semi-tropical vegetable or tree because, um, as Lisa knows well, it dies off and uh, a frost will kill it. Lisa and I have both tried to grow moringa in our geographies when I was living in Maryland and she in, uh, in uh, Northern California, and you just can't grow it. You can take it inside in the winter, you can grow it in a greenhouse, but it doesn't really flourish or do nearly as well as when it gets a lot of heat and it, and it typically prefers sandy soils and fairly dry soils. And I can tell you some more botanical stuff, but in terms of, Lisa, I mean, you can highlight where the big spots in the world are in the tropics that it grows, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing about Moringa is that like so many Americans have never heard of it. But to so many folks from different parts of the world, it's a staple and like this revered plant. So, you know, in the Philippines, they call it malungai. It's the national vegetable of the Philippines. Wow. I still don't know what American's national vegetable is. Probably a tomato, not even a vegetable. Um, <laughs> they call it a vegetable, even though it's a tree. Is it? Is it a tree vegetable? I mean, is it really a vegetable? It's a leafy gr So, well, wait a minute. So, when you eat kale, if you eat kale, sorry, Joe, but <laughs> if you eat kale, you're, you're plucking a leaf. It looks like you're plucking it out, out of the ground, but you're cutting a leaf off a plant. When you eat moringa, you're cutting a leaf off a plant. The plant happens to be woody at the bottom and be called a tree, but yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, except that it's, I've seen pictures and it's like 40 feet tall. So yeah. it's not really the same thing as a, a little shrub. True, true. It's like harvesting a weed, right? It is. <laughs> well, it grows like weed. And I actually think the comparison to kale is pretty apt because when you think about what kale used to be in America, like 10 years ago, it was this backyard weed, you know, it was this plant. People are like, ah, bitter, green. I don't, you know, I have no use for it. Like the largest purchaser of kale in the U.S. used to be Pizza Hut. And it wasn't for the pizzas. It was a garnish decoration for their salad bars. I've heard that. Yeah, that's how Moringa is treated in a lot of the world is that it, you know, some places it's like revered and loved and it's used in Ayurvedic medicine and you know, called the tree of life, but in other places, like, you know, where I was living in my village where they were feeding it to the goats, it's this like backyard weed that people just don't think about. Um, and yeah. so I, I think one of the things we're trying to do is bring it to the forefront. Great. Okay. Well, so I do actually have a lot of questions to go through to help people to understand it, help me to understand it better. And I'll explain why I, I want to do that. But before we do, I, I wanted to give Jed a chance to talk about his favorite word, superfood. <laughs> On any magazine, any, you know, podcasts of, you know, some influencer, they're going to have their list of superfoods, right? I mean, they definitely are. It's a great word. It's a, it's a marketer's word. And Moringa nowadays is on that list almost all the time. You know, you got your blueberries and stuff like that, but Moringa now is on the list of superfoods. What do you say, Jed? Should Moringa be on the list of superfoods? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. Lisa and I were just talking with someone about this yesterday. Um, and indeed, I, I must have said something in one of the other podcasts I did with you, Joe. But indeed, I have. <laughs> I, I, years ago, I had a very negative bias towards that, towards that word, superfood, because Really, anything can be a superfood if you need it and and uh, is providing something that you know something useful, except iceberg lettuce. Um, but <laughs> but um, 
I, yeah, I, I, as uh, Lisa and I were comparing notes recently, um, because she's used the term for, I guess, most of Cooley Cooley's lifespan, and and I got pulled, dragging, uh, dragged along, kicking and screaming to use it. Um, but it is a marketing term. You're absolutely right. It's not a scientific term, but it turns out that it's a marketing term that resonates with everybody. You ask anybody what a superfood is, and they think they know, and they they all have seen a list of the top ten. We all have those lists. Typically, have wild Maine blueberries and moringa and maybe kale and yeah. So, but it's it is marketing but it has a connotation that means something to the average consumer. Therefore, I've started to, you know, I've started to use it first grudgingly. And now, you know, again, in my, my life post Johns Hopkins, my retirement life, my mission is to communicate to the average citizen that wants to know more about nutrition and how to deal with their, their bodies, their nutritional bodies. And, and it's a food that works. There are, we could use all sorts of other descriptors, but this has been adopted by the world, the English speaking world. So let's go with it. That's sort of the way I look at it now. All right. I know that even the purists, the academics, the people who are telling us that we should you know, not eat anything except uh, plant foods, they still are these days have come around to saying, oh, maybe a multivitamin, a low-dose multivitamin, just in case. And I was reading about uh, Moringa. It says that it's got 49 vitamins, minerals, and essential amino acids. And I thought, well, that's a multivitamin. Yeah, yeah, multivitamin (laughs) and a leaf. That's often how we talk about it. It's like, wow, you know, you want to not take supplements. Well, get some Moringa. That'll be your safety net. Right. If you're short of anything, that'll help pick it up. Um, it says here, I got to read this. It sounds like marketing speak, but I'm going to assume that it's true. And you can tell us that it really is true. It says that it's a cruciferous vegetable that's a tree. Okay. I had a, a nightmare thinking of a giant stalk of broccoli, but it's not like that. It just looks like a tree, even yeah. though it's, a pretty tree. it's got that horrible name. It says it's got uh, nine times more protein than yogurt. I'm not sure what that means exactly, uh, per ounce or something. Per gram. It's got 10 times more vitamin A than carrots, 15 times more potassium than bananas, 17 times more calcium than milk, and 25 times more iron than spinach. Are these things true? They are. I think the thing that the catch, right, there's always, there's always a little bit of a catch, is you consume a lot more yogurt and bananas than you do moringa powder because moringa's it's a green it's got a pretty powerful flavor um and so it is gram for gram it is absolutely true i think the thing that okay that maybe is a little bit of the catch is that you probably aren't going to eat a banana's worth of moringa but you don't have to because it's so nutritious well, and so what I have been balancing for many years at this point is, you know, I've got a budget of calories that I can spend every day so I can balance my calories in and my calories out. And I know personally what happens when I don't do that. So I want to do that. Well, in that budget of calories, I need to get all the nutrients that I want. You know, I want to get enough protein and I, you know, I need to get my vitamins and my minerals and you know, now I know more about phytonutrients. And so if moringa is a low calorie way of getting a lot of the nutrients that I need, and I don't have to eat as much of it in order to get those nutrients, well, gosh, that's good. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, not a bad catch. I agree. All right. So what else? If somebody was to say, well, what is moringa? What haven't we said that's useful to know? I would describe it as like, just in in its relevance to other superfoods that people know, I think it's really helpful to, to just say Moringa's a leafy green. It tastes a lot like matcha. It is more nutritious than kale, and it has potentially even more potent medicinal benefits than turmeric. Okay. And, it, and even though I've had it like every day for, I don't know, 
six years. I could not tell you what it tastes like because I put it in a shake with a bunch of other things, including sometimes I put my potassium in there and so it just tastes like I'm drinking salt water. So I don't really know what it tastes like. If you were to just eat moringa, what does that taste like? It's kind of a green, you know, similar to kale. I would say it has like a little bit of spiciness, kind of like arugula, um, but has a nice, nice green, earthy flavor. Jed, you should fill in. Yeah, some, I think some bitterness to some people. And I mean, I think one way to look at that or the way I choose to look at it as someone who's studied phytochemicals for a long time is that that's a sign that it's got a bunch of phytochemicals in. It's got something um, that's making it taste bitter. And in fact, the phytochemicals that it has, which it's very rich in, do taste, do have that sort of bitterish. It's not really bitter, but it's a, it's a, a little sulfury taste. It's the taste that, as Lisa mentioned, arugula, uh, arugula, kale, broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, they're all closely related and they all have that taste. And if you don't, okay. you know, if you don't like broccoli, you probably, you might not like moringa. Um, but as you say, uh, in the U.S., we're not eating fresh moringa leaves. They're, they're available uh, frozen in some uh I've seen them in West Indian or or in India or Pakistani uh, grocery stores. Um, they're available as fresh frozen leaves, but practically speaking, that's not the way we get them, or and it's it's not realistic because they don't really they don't really keep well like that. So the way you're getting them is as a, as a dried product, and honestly, I don't know what the comparison would be like if you tried to compare them to freeze-dried broccoli powder, kale powder, cabbage powder, arugula powder, if, if those even exist. Right. So they take on the, in large part, they take on the flavor of what you put them in. The way, the way Joe, to, um, if you really want to see what it tastes like, is make a tea out of it and take some of the moringa powder from Cooley Cooley, just take a teaspoonful and, and put it in a glass of boiling water and then strain it or put it in a glass of cold water and stick it in the refrigerator for a day or two um, and make essentially sun tea. Um, And then you'll get, I mean, that's probably as close as you can come to getting the taste. You can't gargle with the dry powder. You can't, uh, you got to wet it, right? And actually making it into a tea is something that we've published a scientific paper on, and it's a great way to get the phytochemicals from it, either from the hot tea or the cold tea. So th- this is another subject that would be, I think, interesting to talk to your listeners about. There you, you're going after the phytochemical or the bioactive or the medicinal components of the plant in the tea because you're leaving the solid part behind in the tea strainer or whatever. But as Lisa mentioned in, at the very beginning of this podcast, the nutritional benefits is what drew her to it. And certainly for the nutritional benefits, you're not generally taking the tea, you're taking the, the whole leaf or the leaf powder. Um, and it is, uh, I don't remember if you mentioned this in the list of things it is, it is a highly digestible source of protein, um, comparable in its digestibility or its protein quality to egg or milk protein, which is like the WHO standard. And um, that's, I think that's very important to note. Then also going back to something we touched on earlier, all of the claims that are abound about what Moringa does and, and how it's good for you. I, last time I counted them was in a when I did a scientific review, and there's something like 300 traditional medicine sorts of claims. Clearly, they're not all going to withstand the test of time and of rigorous science. But some of them already have, a, a number of important ones already have. And with a number of those claims, there are, Moringa has already been used in, in clinical studies. You know, we can talk about them later. But um, so I sort of, whenever people want to talk about Moringa, I always like to point out the balance of the nutritional side of it. That's the calcium and the vitamins and the um, the protein and so on. And then the the bioactive or phytonutrient side, which is um, the anti-inflammatory, the cancer preventive, the anti-diabetic, all of those activities 
due to the phytochemicals or phytonutrients. Now I've got to shut up and let one of you talk. <laughs> Anything you wanted to add on to that, Lisa? Jed covered it. I would say for folks, you know, Jed brought up kind of getting the phytonutrients, a, a great direct way to do that in the tea. I, I think if you're interested in getting the phytonutrients and the nutritional benefits of Moringa, we find adding the Moringa powder to smoothies or shakes sounds like what you're already yeah, doing. That's what I, do. right. I add it to oatmeal every morning. Um, we even have a lot of folks who get really creative with it and like make green cookies or, wow. you know, curry, add it to curries, that kind of thing. It's a, it's a great, just like nutritional supplement to add into anything you're already making. And oh, good. yeah, works with a lot of different stuff. Well, and I know we're going to come back to all the different things that you guys make with mm. Moringa mm -hmm. uh, before we wrap up here today. I actually did not know until uh, recently uh, that you had more than just the powder. You you make all kinds of things with the powder. I do. We're very creative. I want to hear about that. So the next thing I wanted to touch on, to whatever extent you know, I understand that this is, I guess, in certain parts of the world, certain parts of the world, this is goat food. But in other parts of the world, this is a long time, you know, health food the, you know, ancient health food. And I don't know whether it was like a thought of as a, a medicine to take when you were ill, or it was just a, like a staple that was thought to be good for you. Um, but what did the ancients think of Moringa? I can't speak for the ancients. Um, I think we've got to go to the traditional medicine literature and lore. And uh, Lisa, I mean, I know I know in West Africa, because you and I have talked about this and both observed it, the, the anti-diabetic uh, activity of it has been observed, um, as has the indirectly the antiviral uh, effect. I mean, this has been, there have been some incredible stories um, documented um, where people have used Moringa with people that have HIV, AIDS, wasting, uh, and it has reversed that. It's enabled them to go back to work when they've been completely lethargic and, you know, no energy and and, and literally wasting away wow. and allowed them to have productive lives with and without uh, antivirals, as, uh, as you know, as far as I know. And then, you know, a third, uh, a third, third area that I think is really worth uh, not forgetting about is its, its lactation enhancement activity. And this is, um, they call it a galactagogue in the traditional medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, I guess. This is not unique to Moringa. The ancient Romans used cabbage leaf plasters on the breast to encourage uh, or to relieve breast engorgement for women that were, that were uh, breastfeeding. Uh, and um, so the cruciferous vegetables, the close relatives of Moringa, have been for hundreds and hundreds, thousands perhaps of years have been known to have this effect as has Moringa, which I didn't learn about until, you know, 20, 20 years ago, I guess, when I started looking at some of the, some of the, the stories, the, the traditional medicine stories. And you, you have to sort of look at this list of 300 and say, okay, where the hell is the evidence for this? Where's the evidence for this? Well, that's an arguable. It's it's an arguable point, I suppose, whether we need Western type medical evidence or whether the fact that it's been used that way in the traditional medicine for hundreds and hundreds of years um, maybe sort of outweighs the fact that no Western clinician has decided to do an expensive clinical trial to prove it. But this the galactagogue activity, the lactation enhancement activity, has now been quantified. And, and and it's it's real and it's it's quite impressive. You know, the list really goes on, but I'll just point out those three for, for the moment. Well, that's interesting. And I think that you're right that maybe one of the hurdles to there being a lot of money invested in proving the medicinal benefits of a product that grows on trees is that it's really hard to make a trillion dollars off of that. So, you know, it's like a medicine that's off patent, right? Who's going to pay for the studies to see how else it might be used? But it's got a bunch of things in it. Sulforaphane is one of the things 
that is either in it or some base chemical that gets turned into sulforaphane. I'm not sure what's true, but we know that the, at least I think so, because I've, I've heard you talk um, years and years ago about Moringa briefly and sulforaphane at some length. What is known about some of the things that we know are in Moringa? Well, yeah, let me, let me just set you straight on that, if I may. Um, so sulforaphane comes from broccoli and it is a, it is a very potent compound in all those areas that I, that I just mentioned, although I'm not aware that it's been used as a, as a lactation enhancer. But um, Moringa has a very, very similar set of compounds to sulforaphane and its precursor, glucoraphanin. In sulforaphane, they're called um, moringan and glucomoringan. And moringan is the active compound. Chemically, it's almost identical. The active part of the molecule is essentially identical. And in all sorts of tests, uh, laboratory assays, animal tests, the biologically active sulforaphane versus moringan um, are sort of neck and neck. Sometimes the moringa compounds better, sometimes uh, the broccoli compounds better. So it's an equivalent compound, but it's it's definitely not the same. Okay, and this is not surprising because, as I say, uh, botanically, moringa is very closely related to the cruciferous vegetables. But as you point out, and uh, have made fun of, it's a tree vegetable, um, <laughs> and and yeah, I mean, I think look, the fact that it's a tree, and as you pointed out, it's 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 not something that. Uh, the big multinationals are going to be able to clone and, and grow in, in as a field and row crop. And, uh, you know, that's why I think as a very practical matter, we have to really, we, we should focus on the nutritional quality of it first, because without the nutritional quality, then honestly, I think Moringa would get less quite a bit less attention because as you say it's going to be harder to exploit it from a perspective of a pharmaceutical or even even a supplement i suppose so it's the it's those isothiocyanates that are that are biologically active but it also has all sorts of flavonoids and and um, other highly active compounds um biologically active compounds i think lisa i think you've you've participated in a study that that highlighted what was it seven or nine major classes of phytochemicals in moringa yeah we did and we did a whole study of the phytonutrients and it was was very impressive to see all, all of what was called out hmm. um and you know we did it on on our moringa powder sort of post processing and I think often we get the question of like, okay, well, that's the benefit of the leaves growing on the tree, but what happens when you pick them and process them? And um, we were excited to see that, you know, all the work we've put into making sure you process them in a certain way and uphold certain standards means that those phytonutrients and all the nutritional benefits really do translate into the powder. So they're not destroyed um, in the processing. Good. I'm glad I haven't been wasting my time for the last six years. Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder, I, I mean, I've heard some really good things, which, you know, could be marketing speak, but some of it, Jed, I think I've heard you say, and, you know, strike me as, a, as an exaggerator. I, I understand that there's some benefits for, I guess, the, the, the thing that always comes up, I guess, first with sulforaphane and then maybe with the similar compounds from Moringa is the NRF2. What is that? So NRF2 is one of the, one of the key central um, it's a nuclear transcription factor, which means it's a molecule that goes into the nucleus and 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 initiates transcription of a bunch of genes off the DNA. And those genes produce enzymes. And those enzymes, the ones that are governed by or controlled by the by NRF2, many of those enzymes are integral to the anti-inflammatory response, the antioxidant response. Um, immune response activation. Well, I'd say those are those are sort of the, the prime cytoprotective or protecting the cell responses. But those then lead to the fact that NRF2 is involved in cancer prevention. It's involved in uh, symptom amelioration, at least uh, as far as we know now, of a bunch of neurodegenerative and neurodevelopmental conditions. So 
the the NRF2 pathway is is said to control something like as as much as 5% of our genes uh, of our the enzymes produced in our body the, the metabolic pathways which is really huge and and um, so the fact that sulforaphane from broccoli and moringan from moringa are among the most potent activators of this response this NRF2 transcription factor, as I called it, is pretty darn important. Also involved in detoxification of uh, uh, AGEs, ah. which is huge, I think. They're also involved in mitochondrial support, which gives some explanation to why Lisa felt more energy when she started eating right. Moringa and to why, you know, one of the things that Lisa and I have uh, are, are, are trying to look into with a clinical study is you know, how do you document with numbers and tables and graphs, how do you document this enhanced energy that so many people report? Because, um, you know, it's a it's a survey, it's a Likert scale of one to ten, uh, unless you can really document it a little better than that, and and it's more believable when you can document it with uh, biomarkers, as we call them. So that the NRF two response is is absolutely a key. Um, cytoprotecting cytoprotective response within the body. Now, I should I, I I you know when since you you're talking about mechanisms, just briefly, moringan, the compound from the the key one of the key phytochemicals in moringa, is also involved in control of um, cell cycle arrest and apoptosis. This is something that happens selectively in cancer cells. I should say. It uh, these compounds are selective in their ability to affect cancer cells versus uh, somatic or non-cancer cells. They are effective, and this is not related directly to NRF2, but they're effective in antibiosis. Um, they have antiviral effects. They affect the heat shock response. So it, it, they're they're mammothly integrated into. Our, our health span metabolism is, I guess, a, a good way of putting it. And so products like uh, Moringa are upregulating this in a way that is over and above what uh, a healthy body w might naturally do, or is it helping an unhealthy body to have a more natural, normal response? You know, I think you have to say it's, prob it's probably both. I mean, probably more the latter. But um, you know, in a lot of a lot of these metabolic pathways, if you are optimally healthy, you know, exquisitely fine-tuned, which means you're what eighteen or twenty years old, and <laughs> you've had nothing go wrong yet, <laughs> then you know there may be only a very marginal response. This is an interesting analogy. We're talking about doing these energy studies, and we were going to do it with college athletes who are at the peak of their game. And we were discouraged from doing that. Everybody said, look, get couch potatoes because you're going to see more <laughs> of an effect there. Right. When someone's at the top of their game, and I dare say most of us have probably never been in perfect health. Um, Joe, maybe you're an exception. <laughs> or Lisa, but I know I haven't been. There's always been something a little bit off. Um, so, but if you were in perfect, you know, perfect shape, then um, maybe the effect wouldn't be that dramatic. Right. But I mean, that sort of, that sort of goes back to your, your multivitamin as a, as a preventive or prophylactic uh, discussion. I, I, can, I can send you the links to this to, for your program notes, but there are studies now that, um, including one that was written up in Scientific American in 2013, February issue actually, which took something like 60 or 70 very highly controlled, randomized controlled trials of multivitamins and found that actually people who take multivitamins have, are at a disadvantage in terms of all-cause all mortality. Um, in other words, they're a little bit more prone to die. Don't know why. <laughs> But then there are some follow-up studies that come to the conclusion that you know you want to take uh, you want to take multivitamins. Well, um, it's really sort of a waste um, if you're healthy. However, 
I just made the comment that I don't think any of us are optimally healthy. So yeah, not now. So, so the issue is fine tuning your intake, whether it be vitamins or vitamin or nutritional. And that's something I don't profess to have an answer for. I mean, that's very difficult to do unless you know exactly what's gone wrong with you or what's going wrong with you or what's on the verge of going wrong with you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, these are tough questions to answer. And I do actually, just for the foreshadowing, I do want to come back to this question, which we won't try to answer as experts on the question uh, or on the answer, but just people who think about this sort of thing, like how, you know, how, how do I have, what do I, how do I add to my good diet or the best, the good enough diet that I have adopted? And I take supplements that get added to maybe medications that I'm on for whatever. And how do I not have too much or too many conflicting chemicals going into my body at the same time? And, and it's really hard to know the answer uh, to that sort of thing. But anyway, let, let's come back to that. But we'll see if we have time for that. Uh, I'm very interested in it. Uh, so in terms of um, the benefits that I've heard of Moringa, which I, I guess is just maybe it's also the same sort of thing that you get from broccoli and maybe some other really good for you type foods. But since we're talking about Moringa, that, that's kind of what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is there were things like it helped uh, with blood sugar regulation. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Qu quite nicely documented in, in clinical and animal studies now. Yes. Well, that is really good. That's something that I continue to work on. Um, thanks, Dad, for those genes. <laughs> it helps also with detoxification from like smoke inhalation. Now this, this really caught my attention because I, until recently I lived in Colorado and every year there were fires in Oregon or somewhere and the smoke would just yeah. come into Colorado. And it was just, and people of course in Colorado, they exercise all the time and it's like, oh, I'll be fine. And they go out for eight hours and exercise hard, breathing in all of these smoke particles. Would Moringa help them? I'd say unequivocally yes, but I, I can't present you with chapter and verse with evidence. Um, but the evidence that we've we have gotten, I mean, I've been involved in many of these trials in China now, um, the evidence with the comparable compound in, from broccoli, sulforaphane, is absolutely. And, and benzene is one of the one of the ones that we looked at specifically, which is a component of uh cigarette smoke and, and um, air pollution uh, and, and certainly gasoline uh, or automobile uh, pollution. So absolutely. Uh, again, you know, because uh, I think Moringa suffers because uh, for, in terms of biomedical research, because it's a tropical crop, there's not a real constituent, there is no constituency in the U.S. lobbying the NIH to um, you know, provide funds to do research on their favorite crop like corn, wheat, soybeans, broccoli, you know, apples. Moringa sort of almost doesn't count to the NIH because it's a tropical crop. You know, we've got our own priorities to worry about. But so that for that reason, you know, yes, broccoli and sulforaphane have gotten some funding to do these kinds of studies. Um, but you know, I've I've told you I've generated some of this data, and I've certainly seen uh, uh, plenty of it. The comparability between these bioactives in the two plants is is striking, and it should be because they're almost the same molecule. So I have no doubt that. Um, uh, I mean, that's one of the things that I, as I visualize what's happening in my body as I eat my moringa, I visualize that you know it's helping me <laughs> neutralize air pollution. Well, good. I live in a place that doesn't have too much except for the Canadian forest fires these days. Yeah, unless you're riding your bike uh, on the roads and then you're yeah. sucking from the, the tailpipes of all the cars going by you. Right. Okay, so the last one that I had on my list, something which I every day I am taking supplements in an effort to boost my glutathione in my body. And I had heard that uh, Moringa helps with that. Yep, absolutely. And and when, when I talk about 
the uh, detoxification or the cytoprotective mechanisms. Um, when I talk about the NRF2 pathway, um, these one of the main um, effectors of these pathways, one of the main outcomes or, uh, of these pathways is boosting the glutathione synthesis pathway. So the synthesis of glutathione in the body re re requires, I don't know, there are about 10 steps in the cycle. And then, of course, it's oxidized and re-reduced um, uh, re uh, or oxidized and reduced rather than being completely destroyed. So it's, re it's reused. But there are, I think, four or five, I think five choke points or five control points in this enzymatic pathway to biosynthesize glutathione that are upregulated by NRF2 and in turn by, by Moringan. Um, so yes, and glutathione, as you probably know, Joe, is the body's most prevalent uh, in terms of the amount um, antioxidant. It's, a, um, it's present in incredible quantities in the retina, in the back of the eye, um, as well as in the brain, um, really in all of your tissues, but um, there are certain sort of hotspots for it. Um, it's involved, we think, in a lot of the neurodegenerative conditions and, and in oxidative stress. So yeah, Moringa is absolutely a, um, a winner in terms of upregulating that. Um, so, and again, this is one of those cases where I think, you know, if you're operating at peak level and all of your other nutritional needs are being balanced and met, you know, would you see a huge increment in your glutathione levels and your protection by eating Moringa? You know, perhaps not. But um, if you are operating at that level, you're in the top uh, hundredth of a percent of Americans. So... Yeah. So if you're 18 years old and living on pizza, then it might help you. Yeah. If you're 60 years old and living a pristine life, it could help you. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So how do people get it? I, I'm hoping that it's something like, I mean, I'm taking like a tablespoon a day. That's what I'm taking. I hope that, that in order to get these benefits, I don't really need 400 grams of Moringa a day. You know, and I've got to, I've got to eat a, I've got to cut down a tree of moringa every single day and eat it. Uh, you know, or forget. No. <laughs> okay, good. You don't. Um, I mean, <laughs> short answer, no. And also, you know, the way we get moringa is actually just pull the tree leaves off. The tree keeps growing, ah. so you never have to cut down a tree. But in terms of of grams, you know, we've. We've looked at a lot of research. I want Jed to, you know, he's he's the expert here, but um, just two and a half grams, so roughly a tablespoon is solid. You're 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 doing good. Okay, that's about what I'm taking. I think just eyeballing it. So and and remember what, what the product we're talking about the 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 leaves we're talking about are dried. So plant leaves are ninety percent moisture. You mean when you pull them off the tree, it's 90% moisture? Something like that. Yeah, 95% for some vegetables, maybe 87 for others, but use a roughly 90%. So, you know, 10 times what you're eating in your tablespoon is more comp would make it easier to compare to an amount of another vegetable you're eating. And I think USDA sort of recommend or serving recommendations for fresh fruit and veg typically are no more than a hundred grams, right? It's like usually half a cup or a cup or a hundred grams. So that's, that's the other thing to remember that this is dried. So this is like eating, you know, you might be able to eat, um, you know, 10 or 15 dried prunes or dried apricots, but boy, I don't think you'd want to. Um, so same thing with Moringa. I don't think you'd want to eat a cup full of the, the dried powder or, uh, or the dried leaves because it would be too much and your body would tell you so, right? I think you eat to, you eat to taste and contentment and, and that sounds very unscientific, but it's the way we eat, right? Well, I guess that depends on the person. And this, I think will get us back to this conversation that I hope we have about how to regulate the chemicals that we put into our bodies. 
you know, when we talk about supplements, there's different things. There's things that are food, essentially. Maybe it's dried food, uh, like we're describing here for the Moringa. And then other supplements are parts of food, like an, an amino acid and and other are just minerals. And, and so it's possible, you know, if you're eating food, I think your body is got a million <laughs> or more years of evolution to deal with processing of nutrients from stuff that you eat. It is possible to take things in a way where you're getting way more than your body has ever designed, ever anticipated getting. And then, and then what happens? You know, that's the concern. There's no toxicity to Moringa that anybody is, has demonstrated. And, you know, you asked about how you, how you get it. And so yeah. Lisa, I mean, certainly you have various ways in which to use it that might be worth talking about here. I mean, we all have our favorite ways of doing Moringa, of, of ingesting <laughs> Moringa, <laughs> um, but we should at least share those with you, both of us, because um, it's not just smoothies, right? Yeah. So what are some of the ways that uh, you consume Moringa, Lisa? Yeah. So, I mean, smoothies is a big one for a lot of people. For me, I am uh, love my, like, warm bowl of oatmeal in the morning. So I am a big fan of moringa, cinnamon, a um, little bit of nut butter, kind of like blends it all together. And then I add in the rest of my favorite superfoods of chia, cacao nibs, flax seeds, hemp wow. seeds, make a, make a great superfood. Wow, you're going to live forever. Hoping to, hoping to. And actually, I now have both my three-year-old and my eight-month-old hooked on Ringo wow. oatmeal. So hopefully they'll live forever, wow, too. that's great. That's great. <laughs> and then, I mean, you also, I mean, you've, you've got various recipes that you, you post uh, of ways to use it, right? I mean, mixed, mixed peanut butter energy bars and things like that, or energy balls. Yeah, so we have a lot of great recipes we've put together online. You know, I think I, Moringa goes a lot of different types of dishes. Um, I often tell folks that one of the easiest ways to add it is to things that are your mind already expects to be green or try to sort of taste green. So like guacamole, pesto, um, you know, dishes with spinach um, are great. And then, you know, you can you can make things like peanut butter balls, like I think Jed does. Um, and we, we do sell you know, bars made with Moringa. We also sell gummies made with Moringa. Um, so we tried to make it easy for folks who maybe don't love powders as much to find other ways to get it. Yeah, I know some people are, like my mom, for example, they love pills. If it's in a pill, okay, I'll take it. Mm. I find that uh, the powders are, are, they're more economical for one. And then secondly, it's much easier to take because you can just put all the powders together. I, what I do is I have like a big coffee mug and I just put all of my powders in together. Now, this is not a way of having a delicious meal, but you put some uh, cacao powder in it. So what does the whole thing taste like? It tastes like chocolate. It's very powerful, the totally. cacao. Totally. And I've also gotten to where just from a time efficiency, I'll put the, the capsules or the tablets or whatever it is that I'm going to take at that same time in the shake, I don't, I, and I just put some water in there. In fact, I make all this up the night before. And then in the morning, I just put water in it, stir it up and I just drink it down. I'm done. You know, I just took 42 pills and 16 powders. Okay. So this gets me back to this bigger question I've got of, wow, isn't that too much? Should I be taking that many things? <laughs> One of the things that I'm taking actually, I, I wanted to get this into this conversation, is iodine. Now, iodine is a, is a good thing mm -hmm. to have. I, I've been eating like Himalayan salt or no salt forever. And so I'm not getting any iodine in my diet at all. I don't eat any seaweed. And I read somewhere that um, if you're eating Moringa, you should, you should add iodine into your diet. Does that ring a bell? Does that mean anything to you? Or is it just in general, you should have some iodine? I'm not aware of that admonition to do I, moringa with i take moringa with iodine. Um, I uh, this may not be related to the answer to your question, but the uh, the glucosinolates, the the compounds that we're talking about that are biologically active, back 
I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, many long time ago, were vilified for uh, for a time because some of those glucosinolates, not the ones in Moringa or in broccoli, it turns out, led to um, goiter. Um, they, they led to off taste in cattle that were grazing on cruciferous veg, cruciferous plants in the milk of those cattle. Um, and they led to goiter in some animals. And there was a very famous study done in 1913 or something, 1920 by a guy at Hopkins actually, who jammed a bunch of cabbage in rabbits and found that they got goiters. And so they were associated with these glucosinolates, but again, these are not the same comp. They're the same family of compounds, but they're not the compounds in either moringa or broccoli. Uh, and of course, goiter—the indication for goiter is iodine deficiency. But it turns out it's also one of the compounds that's metabolized from glucosinolates can cause goiters. Okay, so there's a weak connection there that probably was just kind of like a leap of faith that somebody made. It might have been an internet red herring, yeah. <laughs> but it's probably not a mistake to get some iodine in your diet, huh? Right, right. But you already do because you gobble multivitamins, right, Joe? You know, there's truth in that. I, um, I will take one multivitamin once a week just for my insurance policy. So I want to just do two more things. Lisa, let's give you a chance to tell our audience how they can find out more about Cooley Cooley and maybe order some of your product uh, and try it out for themselves. And mm -hmm. then I'd be interested in getting your two-minute talk on how do you manage your own supplementation practices? But anyway, um, Lisa, tell us how we can find more about Cooley Cooley. Yeah, so Cooley Cooley Foods, K-U-L-I-K-U-L-I-F-O-O-D-S on our website, CooleyCooleyFoods.com. We are also on Amazon. We actually have a whole array of products wow. made with Moringa. So you can try Moringa in its purest form, our pure organic Moringa powder, which is the highest quality Moringa on the market. You can also try it in a blend. Um, you can even try it in a gummy or a bar. So a lot of different ways to experience this incredible superfood. And we're actually both online and in stores. So you can find us everywhere from both places like Whole Foods and Sprouts to even Walmart and more conventional stores as well. But our CoolyCoolyFoods.com has all of our store locations as well. Oh, we have a 20% off discount code for anyone listening to this podcast who now is so enthusiastic about Moringa. If you want to try it, um, simper, simply enter Wise Athletes at checkout at coolycoolyfoods.com and you'll get 20% off your order. All caps, no caps, just enter those words. No space, all one word. Fantastic. Okay, so you have anything to add to my question of how to manage the number of chemicals that uh, you're putting into your body. What about you, Jed? So my guides are, besides the fact that, um, that age uh, sort of changes requirements a bit, um, my guides are real food, um, and certainly Moringa is one of them. So I take that off the supplement list. You know, it's, it's as Lisa said, not a supplement, it's, it's a food. Um, but toxicity is the other issue. And so Looking at, at a lot of these supplements, um, I, I mean, the overriding question in my mind, which I think you've alluded to, Joe, is, you know, if I take this every day, uh, could it be too much? I, I don't want to OD. I don't want toxicity to build up. And so as a result, my list is very short. I take uh, quercetin, which is a flavonoid, and, and I should say they're sort of re this is very personal now, but there's sort of reasons for which, I, why I take each of the things I take. I take quercetin because I've got allergies pretty badly, and I was taking Zyrtec or whatever that the generic is every day. Antihistamine. Yeah, I still wind up having to take it sometimes, but quercetin has that a lot of antihistamine activity, and it's really good for that. And it's a plant compound, and it's you know, it's clean. I use uh, Thorn. Thorn is a big, uh, decent supplier. Sure. I take glucoraphidin, which is what comes from broccoli, because I know what a great detoxification aid that is. 
And I don't eat broccoli every day. I don't eat kale every day. I, I eat cruciferous vegetables and moringa throughout the week, but I do take glucoraphanin as an insurance policy. And I get that from the um, the company that I co-founded actually back uh, in 1997. So you're getting a good quality that you can trust? I know I can trust that Brassica Protection Products makes the compound and it goes into a variety of supplements. I take magnesium magnesium glycinate because I get leg cramps from biking. And I'm not positive that the magnesium is actually helping, but I'm gambling and I know it's not toxic for me. And then I take three vitamins. I take vitamin C, 500 milligrams a day. Why? Because it's sort of cutting the difference between the RDA or the recommended amount and what Linus Pauling was advocating. Mm-hmm five or 10 grams a day to control a common cold. But it's water soluble, so it'll just wash out. All I'm doing is creating expensive urine if I eat too much, exactly. Um, I mean, we're not talking about eating pounds of it. So um, I take vitamin D because I live in Maine. And um, I, even though I get out a lot, I usually have you know half the year I've got stuff covering my whole body because it's so blooming cold. <laughs> so it's a sunshine vitamin. And I take B-complex because I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a pescatarian, but um, I'm, it's an insurance policy. And interestingly, it's sort of like you, Joe. I can make fun of you for all your vitamin consumption, but I, I only take it every other day because I don't think I need it because I do have a healthy diet, but it's an insurance policy. That's it for me. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for that. It's hard sometimes to be public with, you know, what you do, but appreciate that help. I'm, I'm really thinking this through and uh, you guys are helping me uh, get on the right track. I'm sure of it. Good. All right. Well, thanks very much. This has been great. Have a great night. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Lisa Curtis and Jed Vahey about the miracle of Moringa. Check out the show notes for links to Cooley Cooley Foods and the discount code mentioned by Lisa.